Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddow, and how brilliant that you've chosen us for your listening pleasure today. We hope you enjoy. And how could you not when we're in such brilliant company? My first guest won the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2018 for her novel Home Fire, which was also longlisted for the Booker Prize. She's the author of seven novels, which include Burnt Shadow and A God in Every Stone, and her work has been translated into 25 languages. She's a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature, don't you know, and a professor of creative writing at the University of Manchester. Here to tell us about her new novel, Best of Friends, it's Kamala Shamsi. Hello, welcome to you. Hello, thank you very much. Lovely to see you again. And my second guest won the Commonwealth Writers' Prize for her first novel, A Golden Age, which went on to be translated into 27 languages. Her other books include The Good Muslim and The Bones of Grace, and she has been named one of Grant's best of young novelists. Is that even a thing? She too is a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature, so we really are in great esteemed company here. And here to tell us about her latest novel, The Startup Wife, Tamima Anand, welcome to you. Hi, it's great to be here. And I don't really need to do introductions here, do I? Because you're like old mates. Not that old. <laughs> I mean, Young mates. The, the matiness is old, but we're not that old, surely. <laughs> yeah, we are old mates. I started out being a fangirl. Kamala's, you know, I, I... This is another way of saying she's younger than I am. No, I'm really not. <laughs> I'm really yeah. not. Maybe by a few months. Yeah. But so I was her fan. And then we made that awkward transition into friendship. And and here we are. No, you. there, there was a, a step you missed out. You read my books. Then we met. Then I read her first novel. And then I became a fangirl. And then we became and then friends. Then you became friends. Okay. So we became friends on on sort of, you know... Mutual, equal admiration ground. Yes. It would have been yeah. awkward if we had sort of taken one step into friendship and then you absolutely loathed my book and thought it was the worst thing you'd ever read. And that would have just ended there. No, I would have lied because I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> but it would have been like a 15-year lie. It's true, it's true. I have to just keep, keep going with it. More novels, more lies. Yeah, endless. And I said to you both uh, before we started recording that um, I love it when I have two friends on the podcast because when it comes to the book off at the end, the competitive <laughs> the competitive streak often comes out or is completely goes the other way and actually it's like, oh no no you, oh no you and you know. So we'll see 
which way it goes later between you two when we do the book off. Well, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but before then, of course, we're going to talk about your two new brilliant novels. We're going to talk about your writing. We're going to have some book recommendations as well of what you've been reading and enjoying recently, if indeed you've found time. Um, Kamala, if I could talk about Best of Friends... Mm. Uh, which is just out, in fact. Yes, I hope you might talk about it. Yes, well, yes. that would be good, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> considering it's, you know, it's just published and you're here. Um, in a recent interview that I read, you said you write novels in the most selfish way. And I love this because you said you write what you want to write. So how long after Home Fire did it take to come up with this idea? So the other thing about an idea for an, a novel is sometimes you first... You know, the origin point may be very long ago, except you didn't know it was an origin point to yeah. write the book. So in, in my case, it was ages, ages and ages ago when I was in my 20s. Um, my sister and I were having this conversation and she said, and she has no memory of this, but I do. She said, well, the friends we make as adults are our friends because we have something in common. But our childhood friends are our friends because they've always been our friends. Yeah. And in my 20s, I thought this was quite interesting. And But the older I've got, the more that's felt really really true and and you know you become friends with your childhood friends in, in some cases almost before you know your own character mm. or what you think of the world or anything it's just you know oh that person was nice we played hopscotch together she helped me tie my shoelace you know and that is the basis <laughs> yeah. of a friendship that can last a lifetime but but what can also happen is you become as you grow older you can become very very different people and i'd been interested in a while for a while in this idea of these two friends who become very different people I think when it really, when I first had an inkling that maybe there's a novel somewhere, was in 2016. So it was, I had finished writing Home Fire, but it hadn't yet come out. Yeah. Um, and between Brexit on one side of the Atlantic and Trump on the other side, you were hearing a lot of conversations where people were saying, I can no longer speak to this relative, this yeah. friend, this person who I've known forever. We've always known we have differences, but now... You know, this is a, it's the tipping point. We can't pretend they don't matter. Um, and that old conversation, that that comment of my sister's came to mind. And I thought I'm going to have these two girls yeah. who really are the best of friends from childhood. And there comes a point where they really can no longer sort of tiptoe around the fissures in the relationship. They kind of have to do a deep dive in. Mm. Um, so that, yeah, 2016 was where the first inkling happened. I didn't start writing till 2019. Right. Yeah. OK. And do you have a. A, a sort of best friend from the early early years. I do. I've got I've got yeah. a, a friend I've I, I've known since I was four. Yeah, I have. I mean, Demima actually knows, uh, and we're both very close to. There's a friend of mine who I've known really since the day she was born. But I actually don't even think of her in that category because we're more sibling like. Our parents right. were very close. We went on family all this together. Um, but my best friend from school from the age of four. Um, yeah, still very much one of my close friends. He's a boy, so it's a slightly different dynamic yeah. to the one in the book. But um, he's reading the book right now. You know, oh, really? And just okay. texted me to say, oh, my God, I'm so filled with nostalgia. <laughs> and, and saying, I recognize this. And is that based on... And he's right about everything. <laughs> he's getting it all. <laughs> yeah, You're like, is. yes, yeah. yes. Do you have a the best oldest friend? No, I've like brutally left all of my childhood <laughs> friends behind. Just cut them off. I just really... I, I, in fact, one of the great things about Kamala is that she is really good at being a friend. She's like an amazing friend. Um, in fact, the other day we were having dinner together with uh, this other friend of ours who she's known since childhood. And I had gotten into a taxi to go home and they were standing on the curb and someone on a motorcycle 
ran, like drove onto the curve. And her instinct was to stand in front of her friend and kind of shield her. And we were on this texting each other afterwards. She said, would you believe the first thing she did was stand between me and this guy in a helmet? And I thought, yeah, that sounds just like her. This is a totally dramatized situation. I mean, I just, <laughs> no, shoved, some, I just shoved this person, which is, I think, what it, it's not a great friendship. Anyone with a degree of humanity would say, oh, a motorbike's coming towards you. Let me just push you up the way. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's instinct. It's clearly so hardwired into you. Yeah. And and now, for some reason, I don't know why, I've got this scene from Friends where Ross uh, is, is where right. Joey dives yeah. across Ross to save his sandwich but he thinks it's for him I don't know why that suddenly came to mind an iconic saving an iconic iconic scene I mean if if I really had to and if someone challenged me to I could probably think of a friend's example for any thing that was discussed I can do that with Seinfeld oh and and I could maybe oh yeah you see We're going to have a like Seinfeld friend off at one point. We'll have another episode. We might have to have a like an offshoot podcast with, yeah, with Seinfeld. Yeah. I want to know, I want to know how old Themima's oldest friend is. I mean, is it? Oh yes, yeah, Jason back to university or oh, past that? I mean, I still have friends from childhood, but not like there you, you do. All right, but you, you know do, that we're there. sort of vaguely in touch. Yeah. But I feel like the friendships that I I didn't learn how to be a friend. Until maybe 10 years ago. Mm. And when I had children, I think. And then I decided, you know what? My girlfriends, sorry, but, you know, this is female friendship. These are the people that are going to get me through the next various phases of my life. And it has proven to be true. Um, I'll give you another example. Um, And this is really going to sound like TMI, but I'm going to go there. I'm very worried about what's happening. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. It's not you. No, I know what's coming. I'm wondering, should, should I say... Are you sure this will well, be on air for? I was about to have a baby under very medically tricky circumstances, mm. and let's just say that she showed up for some of the less glamorous parts of it. Understood. See, now you made me pull it back. No, I'm say, it, say it. No, because now it sounds it. as though I was there for the birth. I was not <laughs> no. there for the birth. No, <laughs> I think you can say it. I had to get an injection. Right. In my butt. Uh, yes. You know, and she mm-hmm. was there for and that. She was there. Yes, yeah. she was. A friend in need. You know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to come back to uh, these two friends then and the book, um, the novel is set between late 80s Karachi and present day London. Mm. Would you just, I know you've alluded to it, but just set up the story for us, for the listeners who haven't got to this book yet. Sure. So the novel starts in 1988 and our two friends, Zara and Mariam, are already 10 years into a friendship. They're 14 years old. And it's a moment of change, both sort of, internally and externally. So they're changing because they're coming into adolescence and sexuality and hormones and new relationship to how men are looking at them and they're looking at boys and looking at how the boys are looking at each other and, you know, all of this stuff is Mm. happening. And out in the world, um, they've been living almost all their their whole lives under military dictatorship. And and this is based on actual, you know, Pakistani history. Um, And in August of that year... He dies and suddenly there's all this talk of democracy and elections and not just democracy and elections, but that there's going to be a woman in charge. And, they, you know, they don't believe it at first, this yeah. possibility. Um, and the novel, that first section ends basically when Benazir Bhutto, a 35-year-old woman, has just been inaugurated. And both of them feel anything is possible for a girl. And it, it gives them this sort of mood of recklessness. And then they do something. Something happens. Mm-hmm. Um which, you know, is has that potential to be either really risky or pleasurable. And yeah. um, it sort of casts a shadow over the next 30 years. 
And I want to come back and, and talk about another central theme in this book in, in a moment, which um, which I took from it personally. And I wondered, you know, if this was something that you built the story around. But we'll come back to that because, Tamira, I want to talk about the startup wife. I want to talk about Asher and Cyrus. I wonder if you could set this book up for those that might not have got to it yet. Sure. Um, it's a novel about a girl who develops a world-changing app. But because of her own ingrained imposter syndrome or because of the world and patriarchy and the structures of power as we know them, um, it turns out that <clears throat> her childhood sweetheart and her husband ends up getting all the credit for it. And so it's about power um, in the marriage, but also power in the in the larger sense of the world uh, word and how yeah. she sort of claims it back. And your husband has invented a app, right? Or a, a tech um, my husband is a, a tech CEO. Yeah. Tech CEO, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking now, you that happened. You you sit on the board of that company. That's when the idea must have come to you, or is that not the case? I mean, absolutely. I it was my first time being in a sort of work environment, you know, because I'd been a writer and an academic. Um, I had no idea what office politics looked like, <laughs> um, and it was really shocking to me how unreformed office culture is and how deeply biased it still remains, yeah. um, something that we spend most of our waking hours doing, um, and yet doesn't really match kind of the ideas that we have about ourselves and about equality. So um, I would, you know, not that I was in a toxic workplace. Yeah. I was just noticing the hierarchies and the ways in which people were gendered and um, the, the jokes that people told. Yeah. So for me, I was th sitting there in these board meetings thinking, gosh, I have to write this novel. Um, yeah. And I didn't, and it, it doesn't mirror reality in the sense that I'm, I didn't invent the tech that, you know, my husband is the company that my husband is now the CEO of at all. But I thought, what if it was me? Mm. How would I be treated if I was the visionary and I was the inventor? Would I be given the same kinds of privileges? Because, of course, in your book, um, the husband becomes the CEO. Right? Yes. And that in itself is like, well, in, our, in this male-led tech world, that's almost just like, well, that's what you do, isn't it? You put a male figurehead at the front exactly. of the company. And it's, it wasn't even his idea. Yeah. She kind she of pushes him to do it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, not just the app, but making him the CEO. So it's a kind of... You know, she doesn't even realize that she's giving something away mm. um, because these kinds of things are so internalized for us. And in um, The Best of Friends, one of the things, I think quite a central theme of the book is this feeling of vulnerability, especially mm. around specifically with being a woman, which you've sort of mentioned. And you also look at um, the power of women or the, the lack of power for women as well. Was it this idea that, that made you write the story around it or did you sort of weave that into the plot as you were writing it? Um, I mean, I'm a make it up as you go along kind of writer for, for the early draft. I think the thing that both Demima's book and mine are sort of interested in is the relationship of women to power when power yeah. has been so, you know, masculine and patriarchal. Hers is also very funny. I mean, it's a brilliant yeah. satire as well <laughs> of that world. Um, but it's it's sort of, I think in some way, you know, when you, I mean, quite early on, I knew that that section was going to end with Benazir becoming prime minister. Um, and I also know that that didn't go so well for her and, you know, ends mm -hmm. with her assassination. Um, and I think it's sort of, you know, I was sort of looking at the girls looking at that and their awareness that this is the one woman in a world of men power. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I did, 
at a reasonably early stage, I thought, actually, I want them both to be powerful. I think at one point I thought maybe one will be in the other. And I thought, no, I want them both and to see the different ways and in some ways not so different ways that they are responding to this idea of power and how you're related to relating to the establishment who has the most power. And you mentioned your friend who's reading it at the moment that mm. you've known since you were four. So mm. how much he's getting a lot right when yeah. he's texting you? Yeah. How much were you consciously building their friendship on friendships that you've had over the years? Um, not particularly, okay. you know, um, and maybe it is because I, you know, in that moment of adolescence, my closest friend was a boy. And so it was just very... And in fact, if anything, it became the space where there was a little distance between us. But yeah. it was clear we were having different experiences of things. Um, and we weren't really talking about them. But I'm not sure... I mean, of course, I did have female friends as well. Um, and I don't know about you, Thamema, but but certainly the way we talk now about being women and being in our bodies and things like that. At 14, you just didn't, even though it was very obvious that all these things were suddenly happening to everyone around you. So I think some of that comes in is that they, they're they very, very close. They talk to each other about everything. But once their sexuality starts emerging, mm. there are these sort of secrets that come in, these silences um, that start entering the friendship really for the first time. I thought you did that so beautifully. I thought you captured that intimacy but that growing sense of like there are these shadows and there mm -hmm. are these unspoken things so um it was so true i remember being that age and i, I was sort of pulled back into that sense of mystery about myself and mm -hmm. others and not really knowing um and having this kind of i don't know if women young women these days have that experience because so many things that used to be unsaid are now said yeah. or seen but certainly when i was growing up i i remember that sense of you know, having these intense relationships and yet feeling that there were things that couldn't mm -hmm. be said, almost like I couldn't even say them to myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. I felt exactly the same mm -hmm. reading it and mm -hmm. as thinking back to being a teenage boy as well and just thinking, um, oh, what, whatever's happening to me can only be happening to me and it and no no one would understand and I can't possibly say anything about it you know and that yeah. I, must just have been the case for everyone right any 14 15 year old yeah. going through that um I, I just wondered uh, something that you said earlier to me about um I think you said sort of some of the language around you know uh, <clears throat> businesses and tech and boardrooms and very recently um, I've read a book by Pragya Agarwal called Hysterical. I don't know if you know this book, which is published by Canongate. Um, and she looks at the gendering of emotions. And I just found it absolutely fascinating and also quite sort of awful as well in, the, in how we haven't necessarily moved on from the Greeks. I just wondered if you knew of it and you're nodding, which means that you possibly know of it because of uh, being published by Canon Yes, I, I've had conversations about the book, but I haven't read it myself. I do think that the thing that is so surprising is that we inherit these kinds of stereotypes about genders that we don't even know we've inherited. Um, and then when you go back and unpack the sort of myths, it can be really shocking. Mm. Um, I had I, I, The way that um, people talk about women's bodies in the workplace. So I was at a meeting just the other day, actually, and... Um, there was somebody who was trying to plug in a piece of tech um, and he was kind of having trouble doing it. And then somebody else stepped in and they're like, oh, no, no, he should finish what he started. He's already pregnant. Does that make any sense to you in any way, shape or form? Basically, it's a thing that people say when they say you've already taken so many steps into something, you might as well finish 
he's already pregnant. He might as well have the no, baby. No, I've never heard that right? before. Yes, but so it's the third or fourth time I've heard that said in, in, a, in a very kind of funny. And then in that moment, I never know whether to say, man, that was really effed up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't talk like that. Yeah. Or just to be like, <laughs> funny, you know, kind of awkwardly laughing along. And there are the, there's a kind of social expectation that you will tolerate a kind of language that mm. is deeply mm. demeaning and really gestures towards the lack of reform in this very important part of our lives. Well, and even where people think they're attempting reform. So there might have been a time where where a woman with strong views was described as strident. So now a lot of people recognize we, we shouldn't say strident, but instead they'll say, and this is meant as a compliment, fierce. Mm. She's fierce. Mm-hmm. But when are men fierce? You know, men have strong opinions. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. But but, you know, so, you know, Yes, we're very glad we're, we're not strident anymore, but why do we have to be fierce? Why do we have to be fierce? <laughs> For God's I know. sake. I know. You know. And in yeah. this book, if you if you do get to it, and I would recommend it to mm-hmm. anyone listening um, and, and to, to both of you as well, it, it Pragya looks at um, quite specifically the workplace as well mm-hmm. and women of power in politics and in, in tech. One of the, the big takeaways for me was how, and this this comes to what you were just saying, Kamala, the language around a man who's stressed in a workplace mm. is attributed to the to the job and to the work, and to a woman, it's almost always attributed to their personality and their personal life. Mm. And I just had not probably ever really thought of that, and I think back over a career of working and go yeah actually that's and maybe when I was younger I maybe even did it you know and said it and it's just it's been so eye-opening anyway um and it was interesting to have read that and be reading Startup Wife and you know I know they're very different but there's there's a little bit of crossover there um and as Kamala said it is funny as well this book it's brilliant and you had a lot of fun doing it as well because I think I'm right in saying you actually imagined like loads of far-fetched ideas for this and even went or a friend went to the trouble of creating a fake website. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I still (laughs) use it to fake people out and pretend that I've that all these startups exist. Um, it was enormously fun. I tried It's a brilliant website. I think you better give the What is it? We all want to know (laughs) what is it? Um, I think it's uh utopia collective dot AI. Um, so the novel takes place in a co-working space called Utopia, which is a place that is kind of imagining technological solutions for the post-apocalyptic world, which before I wrote it, we hadn't actually had a pandemic yeah. and a natural yeah. apocalypse. And it really does feel like the world that we grew up in is no longer exists. That sense of you know, there's going to be a Benazir. And, and and I think in your book, that, that hinge, that moment when she comes into power, but then when you meet them years later and mm. she's dead, mm. is it is such an incredible reflection of how we all feel, which is that we grew up kind of through this moment, climbing to the top of this mountain thinking, oh, we have the Benazirs or even we have the Obamas of yes. the world. Mm. Yes. And now it really feels like that's not going to happen again in our lifetimes, that sense of protean possibility. Um, anyways, I want, yes, you, I want yeah. you to talk about a couple of the companies you invented for it because they're brilliant. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, there's one where a guy, um, there's actually a real, all of startups are based on real things. So there is a tick. It's called the Lone Star Tick. And if it bites you, you can no longer eat meat. 
It's true. It's a real thing. And so he 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 decides that it's going to be his mission to get everyone to be bitten by this tick so that we can stop eating meat and therefore save the world. Um, so that's one of them. The other one is a woman who uh, decides, you know, makes an app where you have to pre-agree to any kind of sexual activity before you engage in it. So you you touch is an image and you touch the parts of the body that you are willing to be. And then you sign. You have a, uh, you know, a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is about our anxieties about consent and yep. sexuality. So, yeah, I mean, it was fun and kind of lighthearted and a way of talking about some of our concerns about the world that we're passing on. And I, a friend of mine dis- introduced me to some new social media platform the other day. And, and when I say introduced me, told me about it. It's called Be Real. And when they were talking about it, I literally thought they were joking. And I was laughing. It's real. Oh, it's real. Yes. What is it? It's Be Real. It's the most ludicrous thing I've it's ever so heard in ridiculous. my life. What Kamala. is it? What is it? At, now, to me, will tell me if I've if I'm getting this wrong. But as I understand it, you sign up to it. It's an app. So you sign in. And every day, at a particular point of the day, could be any time, you get this, like, notification. Everyone who's on it gets a notification. And you have to take a photo there and then of what's happening in your life. And you take a photo from the front bit of your phone camera and the back bit, i.e. a selfie of you and what's in front of you. And the idea being, I believe... That you know, it's everyone's just being real, yeah. We're just like in the moment, right? The, rather than our jazzed up Instagram. And you're not allowed to use filters. Or no, anything, I think it's right. just like yeah, you know, okay. boom. You've had your notification. There's a time limit. Take the photo. It gets uploaded. And I just find the whole thing fucking ludicrous. I'm sorry, but it's like, who's? Why is every people's energy being put into something like this? I can't understand it. Well, I think people want to. Um, participate in ritualistic behavior, right? And so everybody doing the same thing at the same time or doing something that's countercultural where they're being unfiltered or they're being real. Um, But we're using the same forms of technology that are making us feel that our lives are empty in order to to sort of add meaning to our lives. So it's, I could... You see, this is why the book is so good is that, you know, you just say be real and she gives you this. I know. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) I know. (laughs) This is wonderful. Um, I always like to ask my guests what they've been reading and enjoying recently. If there's some new authors that you've discovered that you want to give a shout out to or just um, picked up, you know, a book recently. It could be ancient that you've you've loved. Um, Have you found any time to read recently? Um, I recently reread some of the short stories from Lucia Berlin's collection, A Manual for Cleaning Women. Oh, yeah. Um, And I just found them so dark. And yet there was this thread of like joy um, in the writing, um, people in kind of situations that are, um, you know, full of despair, um, poverty written about in, in such a kind of clear and precise and yet somehow um, finding these moments of humanity. So I've really been enjoying those mm, again. Fantastic. What about you, Um I am almost done with reading this really wonderful collection of essays. And I usually just go to fiction. I don't read that much nonfiction, but it's called How We Read Now by Elaine, either Castillo or Castillo. I'm not sure how she pronounced it. Have you read this? No. It's really wonderful. And and one thing, you know, it's one of those books that you read and you think, oh, you're just, you know, there's this thing I've been doing for years and you're just pointing out why I'm a total idiot. Um, (laughs) And it is about it is about reading. Um, and it's about her own relationship 
to books and she does talk about something which I've sort of talked about on and off much less eloquently, which is when you grew up reading books and you were the unexpected reader of them or the unintended reader, mm. you know. Um, I mean, when I was growing up in Pakistan, reading books in English, you know, when people say things like, you know, who is your audience? And I, I always say I was never anyone's audience mm. in a in a sort of demographic sense. I was their audience in as much as I was the reader who loved the book. Yeah. Um, and But this thing of, you know, what it is to be the unintended reader and also the, the weirdness of it. I mean, I remember growing up and I loved the C.S. Lewis, the Narnia books. And yet there were these odd moments where, you know, the villains in something like, you know, the horse and his boy were these dark skinned men with turbans and curved scimitars. And you're thinking, oh, what's that going on? That would be me. What's going on here? <laughs> you know, and so she talks about that. But she also the thing that I loved, which was. For years, when people talk about the novel and the value of it, I said, well, you know, novels create empathy. And she just skewers this so brilliantly. And, and sort of the point is, of course, that, you know, if you have to read a 400 page novel about someone in living in the middle of a war, you know, in Bangladesh, if you have to read a 400-page novel to feel empathy for someone living through the war, there is something wrong with you. Uh, but but more than that, it's sort of, you know, writers from certain parts of the world, we get read for things like empathy. Mm. It's as though we are here to create empathy in you. We are here, uh, and you being the white reader, mm. you know, that, mm. that we are here to help you understand something about the world. We will deliver up oppression and poverty and marginalization, and mm. this is our role. Um, and she just and and that that word empathy is nestled so deeply in, in all of this kind of thing, and she just so brilliantly skewers that. Oh wow! Yeah. So that's how we read now. Yeah. And the other one was a manual for cleaning women. That's Both right. fantastic choices. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And it's time for another recommendation now because it's time for The Book Off, where each of you gets three minutes uninterrupted to tell us about a book you love that you think we should all read. 
Um, got to do a bit of admin just before we get into it. Um, we always allow the person who's travelled the furthest to decide if they go first or second. Now, I believe that's probably, could be wrong, you, Tamima. How is it you? I think I think it's a toss-up. It it's could be either of us. Is it? Go yeah. on. What are you saying? Well, where have you come from? I've come from St. John's Wood. I've come from Gospel Oak. I think she's closer. I took the 214 bus. <laughs> it I doesn't took, matter how you do I it. had to change tubes. You go first. <laughs> okay. Go on then. You, all right, go so on then. you get to choose if you go first or second. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, I'm going first in the hope that Tamima will say, yes, you're right. <laughs> Forget <laughs> my book. <laughs> you get to choose uh, which of these rings you out or honks you out. So you can have the horn at the three minute oh, wait, mark no, I'm or going you can first. have the... Am I going... No, I'm going first. Yes, you're yes, going you first. Will. Oh, yes. Oh, so but she gets to. You've them. you've got you've got to oh, choose. You you have chosen that you go first. Right. That means you get to choose which oh. one of these is ringing you out or honking you. Both out. of us. And it's going to ring both. We of We can't us do out. like a honk and a ring. No, you you. you Jeez. You, wow. You, I told you, you there was a lot of admin. You're making a choice for me here. I Can am. we hear both of them? You please? certainly may. Yes, yes, of course. So let's let's do it in yeah, you give it give it its proper gravitas. Yes. So it's either for you. Or it's um. I'm gonna go with the bell. That's okay. a school bell. That's yeah. sort of Fine. recess exactly. time. Stop yeah. working Time's and run up. out and yeah. play. Yeah. So you'll be having the school bell. You'll be having the horn. Okay. Right. And okay. just before we set the timer of yeah. the three minutes, tell us the book that you're putting forward. Am I going to see the timer? Or are you going to hide? That oh from no, me? I never show. Don't really? show. Really? Oh, oh no. God, this is nerve wracking. Have you prepared a three minute thing? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. It's more fun if you go over and I have to, you know, honk you out. Cut anyway. me off. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, which book are you putting forward? Uh, I'm putting forward In the Skin of a Lion by Michael Ondaatje. Fantastic. All right. Three minutes then on the clock, uninterrupted if you want it, to tell us about In the Skin of a Lion. So this is a novel which I own about four copies of. I have one in my family home in Karachi. I have about three in my bookshelf in London. And I have one on the Kindle app on my iPad, so I'm never without it. Um, and if you actually go online and look up a description of the book, what you'll find is people saying, uh, this is a novel about the immigrants who built Toronto in the early 1900s, but whose stories were never told, which is sort of the opposite of, I mean, it's true. It is true. It is about that. But it sounds very sort of serious. Mm. And actually, it is a book of enormous fun and joy. Um, it has nuns and actors and dynamiters and thieves. Um, our central character, Patrick Lewis, we meet him first as a child, but later when we meet him as an adult, he's a searcher. And a searcher is really someone who goes searching for people who are wanted by the police so that they can get a reward. And he's searching for a man called Ambrose Small. And instead, he meets Ambrose Small's lover and falls in love with her. And you might think, oh, God, you could see Humphrey Bogart playing this role. And, and you very much get the feeling that Michael Ondaatje has watched those old movies which have Humphrey Bogart, which have the hard-boiled detective. They've got the gentleman thief who needs no weapon because he's got his wits and he's read, you know, he's got these movies of escapades and cowboy westerns. But he brings that sort of plot fun and propulsion but he takes out every cliche and stereotype and predictability and does it in language that is more vivid and beautiful and, and just exquisite than anyone else does. Um, and there is great fun in it. Um, there are um, a series of characters who you love and who all know Patrick. Um, there are the two women he loves at different points. Um, he writes romance 
really well. And I say that about few men because the women are real and interesting um, and wonderful. It is absolutely heartbreaking in moments. Sometimes I reread it and get to the heartbreaking point and just stop because I can't go any further. But it's also joyful. And there's this one scene I'm just going to talk about to give you a sense of what it is to be inside this novel. Patrick is in prison with two men who he's befriended. And Patrick and one of his friends um, have been given the task while in prison of coming out of the yard. Everyone's in the yard. They have to paint the roof blue. And they paint the roof, but they also paint their friend Caravaggio. And when everyone else has to go back in when the prison horn sounds, Caravaggio lies down on the roof, climbs up, lies down the roof. And because he's the blue of it, he disappears into it and then he can escape. And these are the kinds of really brilliant set pieces that are in it. It is fun. It is thoughtful. It is moving. It is also a great meditation on the relationship of power to powerlessness and the lives of immigrants. And it's fantastic. Oh, that was, I was giving a proper honk there. Sorry, I was I was just so impressed. And look, four seconds to go. Well, there you go. It's like you knew, or you could see my clock. But I either might, way... That I was, might have beaked at your you, clock. <laughs> after, after my big no, you'll never see the timer. Um, oh, love that. That was beautiful. Thank We're you. We're going to come back and talk about it in more detail in just a moment. You can have a rest now. You can All have right. a sip of coffee. Because yeah. uh, the focus is on you now, Tamima. And before we set the uh, clock going, just tell us the book that you're putting forward, please. I've chosen Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. Now then. Okay. okay. And now then, I've, I've got a lot to say oh. about Charles Yu, who oh, was right. a guest of this very podcast. Was he now? Okay. Yes. But yeah. I'm not going to say anything now. Okay. This is a neutral space. Three minutes on the clock <laughs> to tell us about Interior Chinatown. Over to you. The book I'm recommending is Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, a book that I've recently come to, but I absolutely adore. It's the story of Willis Wu, a small town actor, a small time actor who's always relegated to the role of generic Asian man in Hollywood films and TV shows. The author creates the fictional world of Interior Chinatown, a set consisting of a tenement building on top of a Chinese restaurant where all the characters are playing similarly small roles generic Asian woman, dead Asian guy, old Asian guy, etc. But these actors are also Willis Wu's family, his father and mother and neighbors in the apartment building. The novel is written in the style of a screenplay. It's even written in American typewriter font, with scenes described at the beginning as int, you know, interior, golden palace, after closing, for instance, and the dialogue is formatted in the middle of the page. I love this novel because it is an experiment in style that actually succeeds in deepening our understanding for the characters of the characters. It's about race and how Asian people have been on the margins of the conversation around American identity, not just on screen, but in real life. It's also about how our understanding of American culture is so deeply influenced by film and television. I remember growing up in Bangladesh and we would have one hour of American TV a week. And for years, it was The Man from UNCLE, then it was MacGyver, and then, shockingly, it was Baywatch. These images of America do not include Kung Fu Guy being anything other than a bit part. And so Charles Yu is also making a comment on what it is like to live a life on the margins of your own story. He writes movingly about the way his parents age out of their small TV roles and sink into poverty. And every character stands in for something greater than themselves, something that TV, I have to say, sometimes does better than novels. They, t You know, you can take a stereotype and really make that stereotype nuanced and complex. And he brings that sort of 
that that kind of idea into the novel. Um, if it's okay, I'm going to read a small passage and let him speak for himself. Um, it's, it's a guy who's doing about to do karaoke. Maybe it's the dream of the open highway. He's singing country roads, okay? The romantic myth of the West. A reminder that these funny little Orientals have actually been Americans longer than you have. Know something about this country that you haven't yet figured out. If you don't believe it, go down to your local karaoke bar on a busy night. Wait until the third hour when the drunk frat boys and gastropub waitresses with headsh—sorry, with headshots are all done with the Backstreet Boys and Alicia Keys and locate the slightly older Asian businessman standing patiently in line for his turn, his face warmly rouged on crown or Japanese lager. Oh! <laughs> I've run out of time. I've missed the punchline. Oh, no, no. Oh, God, do it. Go I on. think you go get it. it. Yeah, no, no, on. it's okay. It's just a few more lines. I mean, it's so good. But go on. Oh, we need just, just for the two of you. How about that? Um, when he steps up and starts slaying country roads, try not to laugh or wink knowingly or clap a little too hard because by the time he gets to West Virginia, Mountain Mama, you're going to be singing along. And by the time he's done, you might understand why a 77-year-old guy from a tiny island in the Taiwan Strait who's been living in a foreign country for two-thirds of his life can nail a song, note perfect, about wanting to go home. It so needed good. to be finished. It, it, did. So it needed to be finished. I, I think you should declare this a die because these two books clearly need to be re read together. Yes. They I mean, do. obviously. Yeah. They're both absolutely fabulous books. But on top of that, two amazing pictures with them. Um, this skin, in the skin of the lion, I love that you've got so many copies of it. I, I know, I know that feeling of having the same book in different places and you know, never being too far away from it in case you know worried that like one might go missing yeah. and you oh you need you need it. Um, I love the description of all these different characters. The fact that you've got these like thieves. I think you said dynamiters. What yes. a great word. And, yeah. And what a great profession. Um, and obviously Patrick being a searcher as well. Um, the sense of you know I can already get a sense of this novel from the fact that you said, oh, we think Michael's probably watched all those Humphrey Bogart films mm. of the 40s and that's, that's you know, influenced them. But it sounds fun as well as having a proper message. It sounds like it's a page turner. His beautiful language that you mentioned, that he writes these romance scenes. I mean, everything about it just sounds phenomenal. It is phenomenal. And the other thing is, it's a very slim book. And that is really? the miracle of it. Because you hear me talking, you think this is a fat oh, book. Oh, I thought it was, I was going to be an epic. No, yeah. I mean, it's like, 230 pages maybe and that is I mean that's what I no because way. it is so full of stuff and it's not sparsely written so it I mean I read it partly in a kind of I still don't understand after all the times I've read it how he manages to do so much and have there be such a sense of expansiveness mm. um, and yet it is a concise novel and so you wow. can slip it into a very slim purse and carry yeah. it around with you which I'm sure is useful for you to know it's very useful for me to know <laughs> and, and as, no, as you say I was I was imagining a huge yeah. five six hundred pager there um, and then oh, interior Chinatown I mean I've as I said I didn't say anything I didn't say anything before but Charles you was on a couple of um, series ago to talk about this book and I said to him then and still think you know when when I got sent it 
I was just blown away by how different, like, just, you, you said a, a sort of experiment in style, and it really is. Um, and so often that could not work, or you can kind of read it and enjoy it and go, yeah, I, I see what they were trying to do. Whereas everything you were saying in this pitch, and what I know from having read it, is he, he does do it. And he makes you think as well in a way that I don't think I ever have about... America about being an American about the way that they do view Asians who've been born there but they still sort of have to talk about them as being Asian Americans and on this sort of periphery of society but the way that he also talks about as I recall the entertainment industry the way that he actually shines a light on Hollywood I suppose is just brilliant because he's a screenwriter and he's written a couple of screenplays himself I think yeah, he writes for Westworld, and That's you can right. definitely right. see uh, that sense of these multiple realities existing in the novel as well. Mm. I mean, I think fundamentally he's talking about otherness and that sense of invisibility, um, but also of being stereotyped in very similar ways throughout the generation. So his father was, you know, the generic Asian guy, and then he became the old Asian guy. Yes. And he's mm. the generic Asian guy who he and he knows he's going to remain in this kind of invisible yet deep, you know, a a, a person who is invisible, but upon whom stereotypes are being projected all the time. It's oh, it's a great book. And that's a, another slim book as well. You can race through it. Um, and yeah, that screenplay style, oh, everything. I adored it. And I loved your pitch for it as well. And it's so nice to, to be talking about that book again. And anyone listening who hasn't heard the Charles Yu episode that was also with um, uh, Makoma Wangugi, um, it's uh, available. If you want to go back and listen to it, him talk about uh, Interior China. So, yeah, you might yeah. like to go and find that as well, To me, Um I keep getting told off for doing draws, you see, because I get I get to the point where I'm like... Why should you listen to people who tell you <laughs> off? You know, they want, they want a sort of world where there has to be a loser. I think reject that. It's, <laughs> it's a draw! Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Not many people sway me. And you, <laughs> you've got a power there. I, I you try, have a, a power. I try my best. It has. I honestly, the, mm. I couldn't. Have, I probably couldn't have called that one. I think mm. it's fair, and also because you're mates. You know what I mean. Um, I'm. I'm going out to buy in the skin of a lion. Excellent. As soon as we finish. This. Excellent. Good. So thank you both for those wonderful pictures and for recommending two wonderful books. And here are another two wonderful books that I'll recommend. The Startup Wife by Tamima Anam. It's out now. It's published by the fabulous Canon Gate. And The Best of Friends by Kamala Shamsi. Also out now, published by the fabulous Bloomsbury. Get yourself a copy of both of those and pass them around. Um, what an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you both. Thank you for coming in. Well, thank you. And thank you for having us together. Yes, well, thank yeah, you for having welcome. me on with the best of friends. Can I just say... <laughs> Very good. Yeah, well done. Can I just say, yeah. and you can cut this out. Um, I won't. This book always makes me think of the Doja Cat song. She my best friend. She a real bad bitch. So I would say <laughs> that this song and this book, in my mind, will always be wedded. <laughs> <laughs> love that what I want to happen now obviously in the edit of this is for someone to put that Doja Cat yes. song just at the end do you have to drop it let's in. see if it happens it's I mean so who, how will we know you know In but may, maybe when we listen to the finished episodes we'll know we'll know yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you both. That my best friend. She a real bad bitch. Got her own money. She don't need no nigga on the dance floor. She had two, three drinks. Now she twerking. She throw it out and come back in. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.